3: Hey guys, so I've always wanted to do some sort of like top episodes of the year rundown thingy. This year, I had a little extra time before taking off for the holiday. And so kind of threw something together just based on like what the episodes were that you listened to the most in future years. I'd like to open it up for voting, get your input. But for this year, we're just going to be rerunning each of the top five episodes uh, while we're on holiday break. And here we are. We're up to number one. Um, This is the most listened to episode of the year 2023. uh, For a year where bullshit about AI dominated the headlines, bullshit AI headlines dominated my brain, like the Van Vaught thing. I think it's very appropriate that the most listened to episode was about bullshit AI. Uh, It's another one of our experts guest interview episodes. Uh, I hope you enjoy listening back to it as much as I did and hope you're having a great holiday. We'll see you in the new year. Thanks everyone. Bye. Hello, the internet and welcome to Season 306, Episode 2 of The Daily's I Guy Stay yeah! production of iHeartRadio. This is a podcast where we take a deep dive into America's shared consciousness. And it is Tuesday, September 26th, 2023. Ooh. Ooh. You ready? You know, Ooh. Is, right? Ooh. you know what this is, right? You know what
2: this is, right? For all my pancake lovers, it's your day. It's National Pancake Day. It's also National Shamu the Whale Day. Shout out, Shamu. It's also... For all my dumpling lovers out there, or for me specifically, my yoza lovers out there, National Dumpling Day, okay? So, you know, celebrate however you seem fit, uh, depending on your cultural disposition. It's also National Johnny Appleseed Day. And I only bring that up because I remember in Christian school, we were made to sing that as like a
3: song before we went to lunch. Man, the amount of pro-Johnny Appleseed propaganda that I had to live with. Did you Was live with a lot of... World?
2: yeah 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 he's like yeah his name was like john chapman or something originally he just and really he, liked it really fucked with apples that guy he, I, there's like like a children
3: Disney must learn yeah
2: <laughs> i bet there's some dark ass shit probably behind you know like some a story like that it's got to be a milkshake though
3: yeah <laughs> yeah for sure you know I mean, very problematic yeah but yeah. the way like the amount of Information that I consumed Like I I had one of those my, my family had one of those book sets Where it was like Important historical figures right? And like right next to Lincoln Was like Johnny Appleseed And wow. yeah, you know They, they I, I was prepared for Johnny Appleseed To be like one of the major figures In my life Rice and education. Yeah.
2: Did you know the song?
3: No. I don't oh, I'm oh, sure. The
2: Lord is good to me. And so I thank the Lord for giving me the things I need. The sun and the rain and the apple seed. The Lord is good to me. And then we could go eat lunch. But we had to sing that shit before. Wow.
3: That's
2: it's just... from the from the Disney movie apparently. John so I
3: wasn't that. even I didn't even get all of them. The Johnny Appleseed propaganda.
2: Ooh, I, I got the still. Christian. I got the Christian capitalist Johnny Appleseed p- propaganda just mainlined into my little brain. Yeah. He wore a pot on his head,
3: right? Is that? I, I mean, I think who? Sure, like backwards, kind of like kind dumb Davy Crockett. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, this is all dumb Relevant. shit that is probably specific to American audiences. Yeah. But my name's Jack O'Brien, A.K. Oh. Start spreading the news, Ooh. I'm eating today, Ooh. I want to eat a part of it, Ooh. pecan, pecan pie. Ooh. These chattering teeth are <laughs> longing to chew, Ooh. bite through the nutty part of it, pecan, pecan pie. That Ooh. is courtesy of Maxer1216 on the Discord a little, just real solid, right down the middle meatball of a yeah. Weird Al parody uh, in reference to our conversation about pecan pie. Yeah. For some reason, he he was lobbing that meatball up to you.
2: Yeah, I saw that he... in the Discord. I was tagged okay. in that, but you took okay. that. Oh, so you so you just do other people's AKs. Okay, mm. interesting. Jody. All right, well, I'm
3: thrilled to be joined, as always, by my co-host, Mr. Miles Gray. Okay, so you
2: did my AKA, and I heard you do this one on Friday, so allow me to do it one more time. Say, Miles and Jackie, have you seen it yet? Ooh, it's just flying around, losing all my jets
3: yeah oh
2: there's a brie and it's all spaced out oh jetty she's really neat she's got a stealthy use a bomb and shoot so fancy you can't even be seen oh losing all my jets shout out to the department of defense for losing all <laughs> of our multi-million dollar killer fucking spacecrafts uh and shout out to johnny davis
3: and blinky heck one more time well, the well one Puck. more time. Yeah. Maybe we can, like, layer those. Because you went high. I th- I feel like I went a little bit lower. Maybe, maybe we could get a little, yeah. Okay. A little harmony. Sure. Harmon- harmony. Yeah. What Anyways, Miles, yes. we're thrilled to be joined in our third seat. Yes. For today's expert episode mm-hmm. by a truly brilliant guest. Yes. Who... Uh, I felt especially stupid singing an AKA in front of. She's a research associate at the Leverholm Center for the Future of Intelligence, where she researches AI from the perspective of gender studies, critical race theory, and Asian diaspora studies. She's also a research fellow at the AI Now Institute, the co-editor of the upcoming volume, The Good Robot, Feminist Voices on the Future of Technology, and the co-host of the wonderful Good Robot Podcast. Please yes. welcome the brilliant, the talented Dr. Kerry McInerney.
0: Dr. Kerry. Thanks so much for having me.
3: Thank you so much for joining us. How different has this been so far from what you you were expecting?
0: <laughs> oh my gosh, I don't have a song. I was like, how do I That's say? Okay. I definitely don't have a song, and I also don't know who Johnny Appleseed is. I grew That's up good. in New Zealand, and so okay. I didn't have a book of like historical figures. I had a book called. Watch out! These creatures bite and sting, and it was like all the ways you could die—being yeah. killed by like a jellyfish or a oh, snake right. or like an octopus. I like mainly yeah. if you went to Australia, and so it kind of like traumatized me for the good from childhood. But it does mean I didn't have the great apple seed song that you just yeah, sang. Yeah.
3: yeah, did you guys have apples though? Because I—I was under the impression <laughs> that the only reason I had apples was the Johnny Appleseed. Yeah, and the Lord. <laughs> And the Lord. Obviously. Who <laughs> <and laughs> provideth. Who provideth? Yeah. provideth. It's just all Kiwis,
2: right, down there?
0: <laughs> Pretty right. much kiwis, Kiwi fruit, no apples, no songs, just no music. It's just silent.
2: Is it an ex- part exp- pardon my ignorance, is the Kiwi is that like a a native New Zealand fruit, I'm hoping?
0: Uh, so becomes... the kiwi is a native New Zealand bird, and then the kiwi fruit is what we call that, like, fuzzy brown fruit. yeah. But here, yeah, yeah. I feel like they kind of mix up the two, or they, you know, say oh, They're both brown see? and fuzzy and sort of
2: bulbous. Ignorance incarnate here, folks. But if Sorry, you do
3: cut that. the bird in half, it looks exactly like the kiwi fruit. Right. Uh, a lot of people don't know that. Green you know, with green seeds, with white a little cord. Seed, seed core. Yeah. All right. Dr. McInerney, we have you here today to talk to us about... AI. We've talked uh, last week's episode about AI. We're thrilled to ask you our follow-up questions but before we get to any of it we do like to get to know our guests a little bit better and ask you what is something from your search history?
0: This is pretty embarrassing. I just got a Nintendo and I'm like finally entering my game ago era. I'm like this is gonna be so fun but my whole search history is just me googling like very basic controls and zelda breath of the wilds so it's like how do i jump like it's really awful so i went and looked and it's like how do i befriend a dog like how do i climb a mountain and so it's right. not going well like i need to outsource my zelda well, playing to like children who will be much better than me
2: wait but is it is it you're not forcing you to give up right you're just you're you're just acclimating to the new
0: environment right I mean, the kingdom is not going to be saved or whatever I'm meant to be doing. I've just okay. been walking in circles now for like an <laughs> infinite amount of time. But I'm having right. fun, which I guess is the main point.
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah. And wait, why did you or were you were you like a game? Did you play games in childhood and you're kind of coming back or this is completely new? Like this is all new territory for you.
0: I did, but I was also bad in childhood. Like, this is the story of like, oh, I used to be like super into games and I like fell out of touch, like how people were like amazing athletes as children and then like sure. pick it up again. Like, I'm consistently awful at game. So right. the search well, history is not a surprise.
2: Got it. Got it. I mean, you were doing, you know, worthwhile things like thinking about how to ethically deal with all this technology mm. while I was laughing my ass off playing Donkey Kong Country. i'm just picturing you being like "Ah, ah, you can slap the ground and bananas come out it's a little (laughs) hack people didn't tell you about
3: our uh, ai guest on last week's expert episode was saying the video games are one of the ways that he thinks that the future the future of ai is going to impact our our day-to-day lives is that is that something that you Think about as you're out there kind of just walking in circles in uh, <laughs> Zelda Breath of the Wild?
0: I mean, I feel like I perform so poorly. They probably think I am like an NPC or something. <laughs> <laughs> just like that is not a person with free will. Like that's a that following a fox around for
2: days. So. It, just, it just rotated 720 degrees
3: over and over for no reason. <laughs> but, oh, I guess so. Have they made games more fun for people who suck at video games that that's the innovation that i'm looking for because i i was never very good at them yeah i i liked playing them i like hearing about them i think i'm ready to enter my gamer girl era and come back but yeah you should
2: i mean look jack they already know you as the switch god because you've been on (laughs) nintendo so much (laughs) the controllers basically fused to your body but there are like a lot of new or like new like the new star wars game you could just set it to like, man. I'm not trying to do all this like fancy shit. I just want to beat people up or just mash the keypad over and over and win like mm-hmm. that. And you can, you can do that because I think you know it is like it is about being able to play at different skill levels rather than being like, oh, you don't know how to like use the force while you know you're doing your melee attacks. Come on, right. come. Yeah, some of yeah. us just want to be, be kids. Unraveled mm-hmm. is good for that too, of like a fun video game that is not like really requiring you to have like these sort of highly developed video game skills and it's an easy play.
3: Nice. Dr. McInerney, what is something you think is overrated?
0: I feel like I'm not gonna win myself any friends. It'll be like how to like lose friends and stop influencing people. But all the <laughs> Disney live action movies, I've hit a stage where I'm like no more live actions like the little mermaid was beautiful i love the original cinderella but you know i don't i don't want to see more and more of like the same movies again like it makes me a bit sad and like what other stories could be told if it weren't like always making these live actions but you know maybe i'll be proven like totally wrong and the next ones will be amazing but i'm ready for something else
2: just yeah based on everyone's first like sort of reaction like oh you saw how it wasn't like yeah it was okay no one was like it was so good (laughs) I'm going to see it nine times. Everyone just kind of, I think they're, they have to reconcile like their love for the original source material with that and not fully be like, I didn't like it. They're like, yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's yeah, yeah, it's interesting. It's, yeah. You know, it's
3: like their voice just goes up. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, it was like, I'm glad <laughs> I spent my afternoon going to that. I think that's right. I, I've never been more confident in a prediction about the future of a like subgenre of movies than in saying that they're not going to suddenly figure something out about the Disney live-action reskins of the animations. Like we we know what the original cartoons look like and what happens in them. We know what is possible here. <laughs> like, right. I can't I can't imagine a version like what what they're gonna pull out where we're like oh no that is not (laughs) did not see that one coming
2: whoa that bear is talking and singing
3: (laughs) hold on oh they already did that that was the best one i think was jungle book and that was uh the first one they did and ever since i feel like yeah been diminishing returns although i didn't see the little mermaid so i cannot speak to that one
2: is you what's your favorite genre of film though dr Carey?
0: Oh, I mean, okay, so I really have a soft spot for like old school superhero movies. But my like most recent, most amazing film, I thought was the latest uh, Into the Spider-Verse film. What was it? Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse. And I just, I love animation in that film. It's so witty and the visuals are extraordinary and just great films. So I wax lyrical about how much I love these films at work and everyone has to deal with me being like go watch it so anyone listening go watch it it's amazing favorite
2: favorite spider character spider person in the universe
0: oh my goodness i can't remember the name of it but the like really like the really like dark noir run for the first one he's like from like all those like 1930s kind of oh, like yeah, very yeah, dark yeah. mystery films even <laughs> in black and white yeah. i kind of love that
2: yeah yeah was it was it just spider-man noir Is that it? yeah i think yeah. that's noir spider-man maybe i don't know or i'm sorry spider-man noir
3: Nor, what is when you say old school superhero movies? Do you mean like Christopher Reeves' Superman, or are you talking about like the The original Iron Man? The first Iron
0: Man, uh, I think. It's almost, like, less, like, specific films. I love, like, almost films that have that, like, really cheesy, like, origin, coming-of-age story. Like, mm. you know, it's really just about, like, they're discovering themselves. And it's such a simple narrative. And, like, I feel mm. like I should crave more complexity than that. And I should want it to be more nuanced stories. But sometimes it's just really satisfying when you watch this clean-cut narrative of this, like, good guy defeating yeah. all these bad guys when i want to relax i really enjoy that in my day job i think about lots of like complexity and nuance yeah. and like what we do with the future of society and so you know right sometimes i find it very relaxing just to be like star wars
2: yeah you're like yeah. i l- love a joseph campbell type flick <laughs> just give me that hero's journey in every it's all gonna be
0: okay yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's gonna go wrong
2: challenge your old self to become your new self yes, yes.
3: <laughs> But Doc Ock is is an example of what we're facing with AI, like in the immediate future. (laughs) I think we can all agree on that, right? Spider-Man 2. In a way, you're like, it's giving me the equivalent of like eight arms, in a way. (laughs) You're like, oh boy. (laughs) uh, What's something you think is underrated?
0: Ooh, underrated. I mean, I'm a big like cozy night in person. Like I want to be one of those fun party people who are like, you know, is out raving, but realistically at 10pm, I'm like, the day is over. I'm in bed. Like, I think a cozy night in, especially autumn's coming. Like, that's just my happy place. Just Mm, me at home, my husband, life is good. Yeah. Cozy vibes.
2: I like that. That's my, that's my whole thing. Especially, we don't get seasons here. So the second there's like, just the feeling of like a chill. I'm like, "I, I need to start nine fires. And just be near them, and just and that is a problem
3: that him. Miles has, and he's working on his therapy well, with. He's... I guess legally it's called arson or something. But <laughs> what I say is, I just want everyone to be cozy around the Greater Los Angeles Metropolitan Area.
2: Yeah, I'm. Yeah, I cannot go within four miles of the Angeles National Forest. But hey, whatever. They must I'll, I'll see miles.
3: my light. <laughs> 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 yeah, I, lo- I love coziness. I love a. Mm.
2: Are you are you cozy? Or are you summertime, Jack? If you had to pick between, would you rather be summertime, Jack or cozy, Jack? Uh, I do. I, I do love a summer, especially
3: yeah. I'm, I'm in my uh, swimming phase where I just I really like getting in a body of water, get run, run into the ocean, even when yeah. it's a little cold ocean. And yeah, so I, I think I'm like in a summer phase, but yeah. I, yeah. you know, I, I am feeling the need to to get cozy. right Yeah, now.
2: I'll yeah. always take cozy. Yeah, over summer that's just me mm, i know Something's you wrong. yeah
3: you you it's, it's it's like you fetishize winter i like, do, yeah. I do.
2: <laughs> it's problematic like that's why i would only date like uh like women from the northeast
3: yeah they're like you're i like, feel like
2: you're dating me like for this like exotic sort of life you think i live. like
3: what's it like with the snow and you're like- appropriating minnesota like minnesota <laughs> culture <laughs> right <laughs> yeah well hey look we're all trying hey Uh, i I heard that you said hey (laughs) all right let's take a quick break and we'll come right back and talk about ai we'll be right back you like to watch new stuff right
2: i know i do well go to hulu and see what's new
3: And we're back. We're back. And Dr. McInerney, as mentioned, I am an idiot on this AI stuff. I think I generally have, like, my my version of AI up until last week, I guess, like, (laughs) researching for our last expert episode was what I had read in, you know, mainstream articles that went viral and... Films, mo- like Hollywood films, and then like messing around with open AI and or uh, chat GPT. So I, I had this kind of disconnect in my mind where it was like from an outsider's perspective, we have this C plus level like copywriter thing with like in chat GPT, GPT four, and then like the godfather of AI who I'm just trusting people is the godfather of AI, but that's what I, everyone uses that same phrase. They're like, the godfather of AI just quit Google and says we're all fucked in the next couple of years. And I think it's confusing to me because I don't know exactly, like I can't even like picture the way, how he thinks we're fucked. And there there was this letter that was like, we need to pause development on, on AI for in the near future. And, I guess I'm just curious to hear your perspective on that pause letter and what what the kind of dangers of AI are in in the near future. Yeah, because to Jack's point, too, also,
2: we were talking with uh, Joao Sadoc last week uh, at NYU about it. And like at the end of it, we're like, OK, so it's not Skynet, right, from Terminator. And then they're like, oh, great. But then we realized there's a raft of other things that come along with just not being the Terminator. So, yeah, that's I'm also from a similar perspective where I always assume Skynet.
0: Yeah, I mean, I think you're totally not alone in the dominance of ideas like Skynet and Terminator, because so much of our cultural framework for understanding what AI is comes from a very narrow set of movies, like (laughs) The Terminator, like The Matrix, which always positions AI as something that's going to dominate us. It's going to take over the world and it's going to control us. Um, And it's important to, I think, highlight that that's definitely not the only ideas that we have about AI. We've got thousands of years of thinking about our relationship with intelligent machines. And there's a lot of different cultural traditions that have really different ways of thinking about our relationships with AI and intelligent machines that could be much more positive, much more harmonious. And so I do think our immediacy of jumping to this idea of Skynet is reflective of very much where we are right now, right? I'm in the UK, you're in the US. These are countries that have a really long history of thinking about AI in very binary terms. Uh, So, yes, I think it's important that we think about these long-term risks of AI. And you mentioned the pause letter calling for a halt to generating more large language models like ChatGPT until it had a bit more of a moment to think about some of the long-term consequences of these models. But I think it's really important not just to think of the long-term risks, but to think about which long-term risks we prioritize. Because I think the Skynet Terminator fantasy eats up a lot of oxygen about how we talk about AI's risks. But there's a lot of different risks that AI poses. So another long-term risk that we don't talk about very much at all is the climate cost of AI, right? Because AI, it's hugely energy intensive. Data centers require a huge amount of water to function. Uh, And we have this massive problem of e-waste produced by a lot of electronic systems. But that long-term problem of climate crisis is much less exciting. It's really scary. It's really grounded in a lot of our experiences. And so it just doesn't seem to get as much airtime. So Mm -hmm. that's something that I think is really important, is changing the conversation a bit to say, okay, it's sometimes interesting, sometimes scary to think about the Terminator option, but what are some of the other long-term options that could really shape our lives?
3: Yeah. Like the degree to which the deck is being stacked towards the terminator option was surprising to me like we we dug in last week a little bit to the two stories i had always heard that are like kind of put into the terminator version of ai taking over a category there's the ai that like killed a person in a military exercise that decided to like eliminate its controller and then there's the AI that hired a TaskRabbit to pass the CAPTCHA test. And like in both cases, those are, like the AI that killed a person in the military exercise, like that was somebody claiming that. And then when they went back, they were like, oh, I was just saying it could hypothetically do that. It and was a
2: th- thought experiment. Yeah,
3: like, it was a what? thought experiment of what could, what an AI could do in the right circumstances and the task rabbit one was more similar to the self-driving car Elon Musk thing where it was just there was a human prompting it to do that thing that seems creepy to us when we like start thinking about oh it's like scheming to get loose and get right. like overcome the things that we're using to keep it hemmed in so it it does feel like there is an incentive structure set up for the the people in charge of some of these major AI companies to get us to believe that shit, <laughs> like to think to only focus on the AI v humanity, like AI gets loose of its control of our controls for it and takes over and starts like killing people version of it. And I'm just curious, like what what are your thoughts on like why 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 are they incentivized to do that when it would seem like you, well, you don't want to make it, you don't want it to seem like the, this self-driving car will, uh, take over and start
2: kill your family. Yeah. Start killing your
3: family. It's so powerful, but it seems like with AI, they're more willing to buy into that fantasy and like have that fantasy projected to people who are, are not as closely tied to the ins and outs of the industry.
0: Yeah. I mean, I think that's such an important point because it's a weird thing about the AI industry, right? Like you would never have this kind of hype wave around something like broccoli where you say, oh, the broccoli, if you eat it it could kill you or it could like transform the world. And then you wouldn't expect that to somehow get people to buy a lot more broccoli. It'd just be (laughs) like, Oh, I don't want to eat broccoli now. But if right. they were that, like, it's very, so yeah. fucking
3: good and powerful that it'll <laughs> make you explode. Like maybe, like the maybe that's can what make it
0: is. even worse. Broccoli in, that you yeah. can then also eat. You know, right. <laughs> uh, right. what the broccoli would be doing. Yeah. But I do think that we see this real cultivation of hype around AI, and that a lot of firms explicitly use that to sell their products it gets people interested in it. Because on the one hand, people are really scared about the long term and short term impacts of. AI. On the other hand, they're also scared then though of getting left behind. So you see more and more firms saying, well, now I've got to buy the latest generative AI tool so that I look really tech savvy and I look tech forward and I look futuristic. And mm-hmm. so it's part of this bigger hype cycle, I think, to draw a lot of tension towards their products, but also to make them seem like this really edgy, desirable thing. I think what's also interesting about both the stories that you raised is when you looked under the hood, there was human labor involved, right? right? There were people who were really central to something that was attributed to an AI. And I think that's a really common story we see with a lot of the type around AI is often the way we tell those stories erases the very real human labor that drives those products, whether it's the artists who originally made the images that trained a generative AI through to data labelers all sorts of people who are really central to those processes.
2: Right. And I know like in the, in your episode of the good robot, when you're discussing the pause letter, you know, I think the, the, I think the version that we see as like sort of the short term threats, at least in the most immediate way is like for me working in and around entertainment and people who work in advertising and seeing like an uptake in that section, I go, okay, that's easy. Like I can see how a company immediately goes, yeah, it's a tool. And then suddenly it's like, and now you're on your ass because we'll just use the tool now. And we don't even need a person to prompt it or we need many, we just need fewer people to operate it. So to me, I'm like, okay, that's an obvious sort of thing I can see like on the horizon. And you did talk about, while there was a lot of talk of these sort of long-term existential or quote unquote existential threats that there were a lot of things in the short term that we're actually ignoring. What are those sort of things that we need to bring a little bit more awareness to? Like, I know you mentioned the climate um, and I I look at it from my perspective. I see like the just massive job loss that could happen. Um, but what are sort of like the more short term things that kind of maybe are less sexy or interesting to the people who just want to write about killer Terminators and things?
0: Yeah, I mean, I think less sexy is exactly the right phrase for this, which is a lot of the short-term issues are very much about entrenching existing forms of inequality and making them worse. And Mm. that's often something people don't really want to hear about because they don't want to acknowledge these inequalities or because it takes away from the shiny newness of AI. It makes it very much like a lot of other technological (laughs) revolutions that (laughs) we've already seen. And that's super boring. Like You don't want to hear about how the wheel Somehow brought about some kind of inequality. The wheel something. is racist, and yeah. we all know it. <laughs> right. The
3: big,
0: the big hot take from today. But yeah, I mean, something that I look at, for example, I like very mundane but important technologies, like technologies used in recruitment and hiring. So I look at AI powered video interview tools and look at how that affects people's particular you know, likelihood of being employed and how they go through the workforce. And yep, it's less exciting seeming than the Terminator. But again, when you look under the hood and dig into them, you're like, oh, wow, this could actually really, really compound inequalities that we see in the workforce under the guise of the idea that these tools are going to make hiring more fair. And that's a massive problem.
2: Right. So yeah. because like the idea with those hiring tools, is like it will actually take away these sort of like demographic cues that someone might use to like, inf- you know, they apply their own biases to so in fact it is the most equitable way to hire but is it because of just the the kinds of people that are creating these sort of systems because they tends to be a bit one note that that's inherently where like sort of that
0: like it begins to wobble a bit it's a mixture so of course yes the lack of diversity in the ai industry is like very stark It's also sadly in the uk an industry where For example, women's representation is actually getting worse, not better. So that's a sad slap in the face for a lot of the progress narrative that we want to see. Um, But sometimes it's not even necessarily that the people creating these tools have bad intentions. Maybe not even that they're using faulty data sets or biased data sets. These are two of the really big problems that are flagged. But sometimes the underlying idea behind a product is just bogus like it's just a really bad concept and yet somehow it gets brought to market again because of all this hype around ai so with the video interview tools that we look at for example they basically claim that they can discern a candidate's personality from their face and from their words so how they talk how they move they can decide how extroverted you are or how you know open you are how neurotic you are how conscientious you are all these different markers of personality to which i would say firstly no there's absolutely no way an ai can do that this is just a very old kind of racial pseudoscience making its way back into the mainstream saying okay we can totally guess your personality from your face like it's like your friends looking at someone's profile picture on like tinder or whatever and being like they look like they'd be really fun at a party like it's about that level of accuracy (laughs) you know and then second is that even a good way of judging if someone's gonna be good for a job like How extroverted do you want a person in a job to be? Maybe in your job that's really, really helpful. In my job, I don't know how helpful it is. So there's just kind of a lot of flaws at the very, you know, bottom of these products that we should be worried about.
3: Just like a C minus level job hiring process. (laughs) Like that's what I feel like so many of the things, like when you get down to them and see them in action, they're like not that good. Like it does feel like the whole thing is being hyped to a large degree, and like that's something I heard from somebody I know who like works in you know le- like all of my friends who work in finance or like any of those things. Like my brain shuts off when he starts talking about what he does, but he was saying like he he pays attention to the market, and he was saying there's like a big thing propping up the stock market right now is AI, and it really is like that. That's where so much of people's wealth is tied up as in like the stock market and it's just tied to like what you can get people excited about in a lot of cases so it really like the, from that perspective it, the incentive structure makes sense like you want people talking about how your ai technology can do all these amazing things because that literally makes you have more money than you would have if they knew the truth right. about your your product
2: without being like, yeah. wait, how many seven-fingered Trump pictures can we create? And, <laughs> right. and be like, yeah, man, fucking dump millions into this.
3: Yeah.
0: Yeah, I mean, that's kind of something that's really come out over the last few years is how many firms just use the label of AI to get funding. Like, I think there was a study a couple of years ago that said like 40% of European AI startups didn't use AI, <laughs> <to> which At which <laughs> point you're like, well, what are you doing? Like, what are you doing? <laughs>
3: <laughs> well, we could, though. This podcast (laughs) is actually an AI podcast because eventually it could use AI. And before we were recording, Miles was actually putting in, he asked an AI to uh, pitch him an episode of Friends in which the cast and, you know, the people on the, the friends on -hmm. the show deal with the fallout from the events of 9-11 and it wouldn't do it. So we can't quite claim that we are an AI (laughs) podcast yet, but but we it did it did
2: do it when I said do a uh, pitch me an episode where Joey and Monica drive Uber.
3: Oh, right. From. Yeah, and yeah, it yeah. did.
2: So clearly it because you can see where these guardrails are. They're <laughs> like, don't do not do eleven stuff, though. That's uh, right. No.
3: But <laughs> don't I mean, do that. so, yeah, I think there's two things we're talking about here. Like from from right. one perspective, like, yes, you, you could put it in the category of like, well, yes, the wheel makes racism or colonialism more frictionless is a word right. that gets used a lot but like literally in the case of the wheel frictionless <laughs> but ai and like a lot of technology is designed to make groups of people and like our interactions and the things that make people money more frictionless and that's something that you guys have have talked about on on recent episodes of good robot like the, the, there's this one example that really jumped out to me that i think was from your most recent episode or at least the one that's up most recently, right now, as we're recording this, where you guys were talking about a company that asked a regulating body to make an exception to a law around like a high risk use of AI. And the law said that people had to supervise the use of AI, like just be- because it, it seemed dangerous. And the company appealed to the regulating body by saying, well, we just like that would cost too much. And we would never be able to like scale this and make a profit. And it feels to me like our answer as a civilization to that complaint needs to be well, that's not our problem. <laughs> like that's yeah. then then you shouldn't be doing it. But instead, it seems like the answer too often, not just in AI, but just across the board, especially in the US, is like, okay, well, we have to make an exception so that they can make a profit around this technology or else the technology won't get developed because the only thing that drives technological progress is like the profit motive. But that's, you know, as I think you guys talked about in that episode, that's never been the best way to develop technology. Like it's it's been a good way sometimes to democratize existing technology, but like that's, I, I don't know, I feel like that idea of you you have to make it profitable you have to make it easy on these companies to keep trying different things for ai to become profitable is baked in at a like cellular level at this point in how a lot of you know western colonial civilizations operate
0: yeah i mean i think too often a lot of the technologies that shape our daily lives are made by a very narrow set of people who ultimately aren't beholden to us they're beholden to their shareholders or to their boss, and right? So they don't really have our best interests at heart, right? Like, for example, take this whole rebranding of like Twitter to X by Musk. I remember waking up and finding my little Twitter bird replaced with this huge X and just being like, "Ugh!" firstly, because it was part of, you know, Twitter's slow decline. Right. But secondly, it made me feel pretty disappointed or really aware of the fact that one guy could have such a huge impact on how, Literally millions of people use a social networking platform that's actually super important, you know, to their daily lives and has played a huge role in activist movements and fostering different communities. And I think that's a story we see time and time again with some of these big tech companies, which is not only do they have their own profit motive at heart, they also they're not beholden in any way to the public and they're not being compelled by regulation to make good decisions that necessarily benefit the public. So I think a really important question going forward is. How do we support kinds of technology development that are very much based in the communities that the technology is for? And I think one really big part of that is recognizing that so many AI models, as you mentioned, right, they're designed to be scalable, and that's how they make money, this idea that you can apply them globally and universally. And I think that's a big problem, partly because it often is really homogenizing. It can involve, like, exploiting a model from the U.S., usually out to the rest of the world, it's probably not actually appropriate to use in those contexts. But also a lot of really exciting and good uses of technology, I think, come from these really localized, specific community-based levels. So sometimes I think it can be about thinking smaller rather than bigger.
2: Yeah. Yeah. I th- That was like another thing that struck me about like just all the warnings and even in that pause letter is sort of like the presumption that it's like, well, all you motherfuckers are going to use this. So we got to talk about it. Yeah. Where it's like, I don't know. I don't even fucking know what it is. Like a second ago, I thought it was <laughs> Skynet. And now like, you know, you have your company being like, yeah, we now have enterprise AI tools. Like, welcome. You're like, but what am I? Huh? Like, what? Am-? And I think that's what's a really interesting thing about this as like a sort of technological advancement is before people even really understand what it is, there is like from the higher the powers that be sort of going into it being like, well, this is it. Like everyone's using it but I'm still not sure how. And I guess that probably feeds into this whole model of generating as much, you know, excitement, market excitement about AI is by taking the angle of like, everything's different because everyone is going to be using AI. Most of y'all don't know what that is, but get ready. And I think that's what also makes it very confusing for me as it's like a lay person outside of the tech sphere to just be like, wait, so are we all using it? And even now, I really, I still can't see what that is and how that benefits me. And I think that's a big part of, I'm sure your work too, or even like any ethicist is to understand like, well, who does it benefit? Like first we're making this because it benefits who and how.
0: Yeah, And I think, is it right now
2: it benefits the companies that are making it? It sort of feels like that's the way it's being presented or slightly being like, yeah, you guys are going to love this, but really it's we're going to benefit from the adoption of this technology.
0: Yeah. I mean, I think that's this crucial question is this stepping back and saying, actually, is this inevitable? And do we even want this in the first place? And I think that's what really frustrated me about the pause letter and about a number of kind of big tech figures signing onto it, is that they're very much pushing this narrative of like, oh, this is like unstoppable and it's inevitable and it's happening. We've got to find ways to deal with it. And it's like, you're making it like you are the people literally making these <laughs> right. technologies in a lot of cases. So if you really think it's an existential risk to humanity, stop. It honestly could even be that simple. But that, you know, what makes me really then question their motives and sort of coming forward with a lot of this kind of very doom and gloom language. Um, I think it's also interesting if you look at, for example, countries as national AI strategies. Um, So if you look at, say, like China and the UK and the US and these countries that are now thinking about what their national long term AI strategy is going to be, they also very much frame it around the idea that AI is completely inevitable, that this is going to be the transformative technology for imagining the future, for geopolitical dominance, for economic supremacy. And again, I think as an ethicist, what I really want people to do is step back and say, I think we're actually at a crossroads where we can decide whether or not we think these technologies are good for us and whether they are sustainable whether they are a useful long term thing for our societies or actually whether the benefits of these technologies are going to be experienced by very few people and the costs are going to be borne by many
3: mm. right we talked last week of, about the scientific application that you know used deep learning to figure out the shapes of proteins the structures of proteins and that that could have some beneficial uses will probably have some beneficial uses for, you know, how we understand disease and medicine and how we treat that. But there are ways to probably differentiate and think about these things. Like it's not you don't just have to be either Luddite or like AI pedal to the floor. You know, let's just get out of the way of the big companies. You know, it, it feels like but, but it is such a complicated technology that I think there's going to be inherent cloudiness around how people understand it and also manufactured cloudiness because it is in the overall system's benefit, the overall system being like capitalism, it's in their benefit to generate like market excitement where there shouldn't be any basically
0: yeah so, i mean i think yeah. it's easy to generate this kind of nebulousness around ai because to some extent we still don't really know like what it is it's still more of a concept than anything else right, because right. the term ai is like stretched and used to describe so many applications like i spent two years interviewing engineers and data scientists in a big tech firm, and they would sort of grumble, well, 15 or 20 years ago, you know, we didn't even call this AI, and we were already doing it. It's just a decision tree. You know, again, it's kind of part of that branding. Mm -hmm. But also, we have these, again, thousands of years of stories and thinking about what an intelligent machine is. And that means we can get super invested in super cloudy very, very quickly. And yeah, I don't want people to feel bad for being scared or being cloudy about these technologies. Like it is dense and confusing, but at the same time, I do think that it is really important to come back to that question of what does this do for us? So, you know, the question of like Luddism or being a Luddite, I think is really interesting because... I, you know, personally, I do use AI applications, there's certain things about these technologies that really excite me. But I'm really sympathetic to some of the kind of old school Luddites who weren't necessarily anti-technology, but were really against the kinds of impacts that technology were having on their societies. So the way that new technology is like, um, I think it would be things like spinning and weaving were causing mass unemployment and the kind of broader ramifications that was ha- having for people in the UK socially. And that kind of has quite a scary parallel to today in terms of thinking about maybe what AI will bring about for the rest of us who maybe aren't researchers in a lab, but who maybe might be replaced by some of these algorithms in terms of our work and our output.
3: Yeah. Can you talk at all about open source like models of because, you know, what when we talk about this idea that. Corporations have all this power and are incentivized to do whatever is going to make the most money, which in a lot of cases is going to be the thing that removes the friction from consumption decisions and, you know, just how people interact and do these things, which, as you guys talked about in your episode, like, removing the friction, like, friction can be really good sometimes. Sometimes your system needs friction to stop and correct itself and recognize when bad shit it, when things are going wrong right. but you know th- there's also a history in even in the u.s where corporations are racing to get to a development and ultimately are beat by open source models of technological organ- organizing around like getting a specific solution do you have any hope for like open source or in in the future of ai
0: Yeah, I mean, I think I'm really interested in community forms of development. And I think open source is a really interesting example. I think we've seen other interesting examples around things like collective data labeling. Um, And I think that these kinds of collective movements on the one hand seem like a really exciting community-based alternative to the concentration of power in a very, very narrow segment of tech companies. On the other hand, though, I think community work is really hard work. We had um, Dr. David Adelani on our podcast, who's a very important figure in Masakana, which is a grassroots organization that aims to bring some of the over 4,000 African languages into natural language processing or NLP systems. And he talks a lot about how the work he does with Masakana is so valuable and so important, but it's also really, really hard because when you're working... In that kind of collective decentralized environment it can be much slower and as you said there can be a lot more friction in that process but counter to this move fast break things kind of culture sometimes that friction can be really productive and it can help us slow down and think about you know the decisions that we're making very intentionally rather than just kind of racing as fast as we can to make the next newest shiniest product
2: i okay. was i'm also curious, like in your work too you know you talk about how you know, like looking at these technologies, especially through a lens of like feminism and intersectionality and, you know, BIPOC communities and things like that. And like broadly in science, there's like, you know, there's an issue of like language hegemony in scientific research, where if things aren't written in English, a lot, sometimes studies just get fucking ignored because like, I don't speak Spanish or I can't read Chinese. Therefore, I don't know if this research is being done and therefore it just doesn't exist because the larger community is like, we all just think in English. Like, so how do you, like, you know, specifically, because, you know, when hearing the description of your work, help me understand, like, and and the listeners too, like, of how we should be looking at these things from that, also from that perspective too, because I think right now we're all caught up in, like, it's fucking Skynet, and it's not, you know, hold on, like, there are other subtleties that actually we should really think deeply about because, to your point, I feel like those are the dimensions of an emerging technology or trend or something that go- gets ignored because, to your point, it's like the thing we, of course, it's, in, it's, it's unequal. Of course, it's racist or whatever. Um, but what are those like, what are those ways that people need to really be thinking about this technology?
0: Yeah, I mean, I think English language hegemony is a really good example of this broader problem of the more subtle kinds of exclusions that get built into these technologies, because I think we've all probably seen the cases of AI systems that have been really horrifically and explicitly racist or really horrifically sexist from, you know, Tay, the chatbot that started spouting horrific right-wing racist propaganda and had to get taken down through to Amazon hiring tool that systemically discriminated against female candidates. These are really, I think, overt mm. uh, depictions of the kinds of harms AI can do. But I think things like English language hegemony are also incredibly important for showing how existing kinds of exclusions and patterns of power get replicated in these tools. Because to an English language speaker, very crucially, they might use chat GPT and think, this is great. This is what my whole world looks like if they only speak English. Obvious to anyone who is not a native English speaker or who doesn't normally speak English, it's going to be an incredibly different experience. And that's where I think we see the benefits of these tools being really unequally distributed. I think it's also important because there's such exclusions in which kinds of languages and forms of communication can get translated into these systems. So, for example, I work with a linguist at the University of Newcastle, and she talks about the fact that there's so many languages, like signed languages, and languages that don't have a written language, that are never going to be translated into these tools and never are going to benefit from them. You might think, okay, well, do these communities want those languages translated into an AI tool? Maybe, maybe not. I'd argue, of course, it's up to them. But those communities are still going to experience the negative effects of AI, like the climate cost of these tools. And so I think it's just really important, like you said, to think about what kinds of hegemony are getting further entrenched by AI-powered technologies.
3: All right. Great. Let's uh, let's take a quick break and we'll come back and finish up with a few questions. We'll be right back.
2: You like to watch new stuff, right? Gang? I know I do. Well, go to Hulu and see what's new because Hulu has new stuff all the time, like Vanderpump Villa, the new docudrama starring Lisa Vanderpump.
3: and we're back back. and all right so i mean one thing that i want myself to to just like get out of this conversation is just a sense of like ways that we like what we think ai might look like how it might impact what the world around us looks like in the not too distant future and we we've We've already talked about like some ways that AI is being overrated as like a autonomous killbot <laughs> like terminator style t- killbot you know there's there's some other examples like one, on one of the episodes of your podcast an AI expert talks about getting an AI enhanced cancer scan and assuming the scan was like taking 3D video and doing or doing like 3D modeling and it was just putting a box on a 2D image. And I, I believe the guest like, admits that they were influenced by like Hollywood movies. And it seems like that's what people who are trying to make money off of this want. So like they, we're going to have this steady push to make us overrate, misunderstand what the actual promise of AI is going to look like, how what tools are going to be given to us in the near future? And like, what are those tools actually able to do? So I'd just be curious to hear from you, like, what do you think way, ways that AI might intervene in our lives in the near future might already be intervening in our lives? What, what are those things that we're underrating? Like, what and what are the things that you think are probably taking up too much of our bandwidth in terms of how, how we're picturing AI?
0: Oh, that's a great question. I think to start with the second half, to start with what I think is maybe a little bit overrated or maybe will take a bit longer to pan out, I would say some of these really high-tech applications, like things like AI and, and medicine, for example, I think that we might not see them expand beyond a very narrow set of controlled circumstances. I think this idea that, you know, soon every hospital will have this tool, or say AI in education, that every classroom is going to have access to this tool, I think is unfortunately just really grossly overestimating the kinds of resources, certainly Hmm. in this country, that schools and hospitals have. I was talking to a friend who's a doctor um, here, and she was saying, oh, well, what do you think about AI in medicine? And then she kind of stopped for a moment and just laughed and said, well, I don't know why I'm asking you that, because my hospital uses paper notes. And I said, what? And she said, yeah, our whole hospital is not computerized and that was a good reality check for me because it made me realize like wow actually some of the stuff that i'm thinking about is so far away from the reality of what people like my friend the doctor is having to deal with on the ground and same with schools you know here a whole hundreds of schools i think have had to be closed because there's some kind of issue with the concrete that they might collapse which is a horrific but b is such a different level of infrastructural problem that thinking about ai in the classroom right. is really not on the radar in that scenario yeah let's um, work on yeah. walls
3: first yeah. exactly yeah think about <laughs> autonomous <laughs> ai socrates yeah. Yeah. yeah it's
0: like a low bar yeah people are like what if students cheat and you're like look yeah. <laughs> you know, <laughs> what if the building the crushes
2: up? them exactly. uh,
0: yeah, yeah, yeah Yeah. you know so. so those are things that i think are maybe a little bit on the overrated side i think a way might- things are underrated, like I'm really interested in how AI can change how we see the world and how we see ourselves. Like I think, you know, take for example, something like TikTok, you know, I have to confess I'm a big TikTok user. I love scrolling a lot of mindless Same. garbage. It Same. brings me a lot of joy and peace. Yeah. Um, but even things like AI powered beauty filters, right? Like I think that has such a profound effect on how you just understand and see yourself and your own face they're often really imbued with gendered and racist kinds of assumptions as well. I often look a lot whiter when I use a beauty filter, even though I'm multiracial. Like all of those assumptions, I think, they get baked in that seep into our lives in like really subtle ways. But I think collectively it can have quite a big impact.
3: Yeah, yeah. I, was talking, I was talking about the, I, I don't know if this is technically AI, but then again, I don't know what AI is or if there's like a <laughs> specific argument. But like the the way that like iPhones take, 40 pictures like consecutively and then like choose the best one from the 40 and like the live photo setting like feels like a thing and like it's really good at it and it's something that i had like just it happened on my phone with like an update and i was like yeah this is just how you take pictures now and like pictures are way better than they used to be i think i saw somebody speculate that like some of the software like photoshop and other things that have traditionally had sort of a difficult learning curve will suddenly get much easier for people to use. So yeah, I, I like those those are like having actual tools that are like kind of easy to use and like very simple straightforward. We know what the goal is here and we are able to use these enhanced kind of programs to to achieve that goal. Like yeah. that that feels more possible to me and like something that we we might see in the not too distant future
2: totally that's like a pitch you can understand like this will make it easier for you to photoshop a friend out and just put someone else in you're like okay rather than right now it's like this shit will end the world and you're like well what is it (laughs) i don't know i don't know i don't know but it will fuck you up and you're like huh and i guess that's such a different proposition up front and Earlier, Dr. Carey, you're saying like there are things that genuinely excite you about like this sort of like these emerging technologies from and I and I would love to hear from your vantage point because you are looking at this in a like, like what is ethical and what is going to bring meaningful value to people? Like, what are those things that I can feel like, oh, yeah, yeah, I, I can get down with that future.
0: Yeah, I mean, I recognize that I sound very doom and gloom a lot of the time that I speak and <laughs> all my friends have to deal with my sort of content. Existential anxiety about technologies. Uh, But at the same time, you know, I'm an active user of a lot of them. Like, I use a lot of voice dictation software, voice editing software, you know, for when we record our podcasts. And these are things that genuinely make my life so much better and easier. I love being able to transcribe, you know, what I'm saying and have it appear on the screen and not have to type out my emails and have them appear. I recognize these are like all very boring. I should have said something (laughs) like, I DJ.
2: (laughs) (laughs) No, not at all. Not at all.
0: I write emails using voice dictation software. <laughs> it's very, you know, but I think, kind of, you know, extrapolating out from that, you know, there's really amazing applications when it comes to accessibility and when it comes to the kinds of access people can now have online because of advancements in AI powered tools. And so I think, though, you know, what's really central there is kind of that broader vision of, yeah, you know, what is the kind of benefit this is meaningfully bringing to. What problem is being solved? And are the people who are like most affected by that problem the ones leading the conversation and saying what they need? Because too often I think we see tech developers creating stuff that actually no one really asked for. I'm sure you have like all seen that thing on Amazon when you're like, yeah. who asked for that banana holder or avocado peeler or something? Right. Um, <laughs> and too often I think tech add ons could be a little bit like that. Whereas I think when we have like really interesting conscious development of, say, for example, Feminist tools that are designed to encourage good conversations, things like that. That really makes me excited about the kinds of futures we could have with technology.
2: Right. Yeah. It almost feels like uh, the danger here is when someone has like a technology and go, and this is going to be in every home, and you're like, this is a sales pitch, actually. Yeah. Because if you're not saying this is how we will work less and have more time to frolic, to enjoy our human existence, to connect with our families, then then like, miss me with that, because it reminds me of crypto. It reminds me of the metaverse. And it reminds me of Zuckerberg being like, every worker will have this fucking headset on. And you're like, no. <laughs> no, but nice fucking try, asshole. Yeah. And I feel like this is kind of like, it has a similar tone of, like, get ready, folks, for this thing. And granted, they have some a shiny toy in the form of these large language models that are fun to, de- like, do. And really, they're just skimming the, the, the internet and just giving it to you in a nice, tidy sentence. But yeah, like, I feel like that is just kind of like, we're, we're, I'm seeing that dimension when you see the hype around it, which feels a little more like, y'all are talking about this to make money, whereas the other things that you're talking about, like accessibility and trying to democratize certain applications or things like that, less, there's less, uh, less scale involved with something like that. So maybe it isn't talked about.
0: Exactly. And I just think it's really important to recognize that, you know, I'm not saying that, say, things like smart home technology is like Amazon. Electra and things are like inherently bad products. I'm sure heaps of people like love having those technologies in their home. They find them useful. But I just think whenever you bring in a new technology, you also bring in new vulnerabilities and you bring in new costs. And sometimes the hype wave means we focus on the benefits, you know, Oh, if you bring this to every home, everyone's life will be easier if everyone will have a more seamless home experience, when actually that's not the case. There's real costs to bringing those tools into a lot of people's homes. Everything from, for example, the way that certain kinds of elder care is getting replaced by technological tools in the UK care system, through to the fact that those tools can really easily be used for the purposes of domestic abuse, intimate partner violence. It can be used to control or trap someone in their home. And these are really ugly truths about those technologies. And they're mm-hmm. often not the ones that are put at the heart of technology development. And so that's a lot of my job, I guess, as an emphasis, is just to say, how do we put those vulnerabilities and those costs at the forefront and then judge holistically whether or not we really want this product to exist?
2: Yeah, but here's the thing. I got a lot of my stock portfolio tied up in these companies. I need these fucking things to yeah. moon, if you know what I mean.
3: So I want to end the episode just doing something that you guys do on The Good Robot, which is talk talk about some, like, books that are recommended or, you know, what works you recommend. You know, you talk on an episode earlier, I think it was in the summer, about how a lot of the ideas and fears and hopes that we have currently are very similar to what we've seen in movies. And, like, the, those... Like when you look at Elon Musk's 10 favorite books, they're all like fed by this same like Isaac Asimov, like iRobot thing. I'd add a lot of Kubrick's ideas around AI are go back to this very specific version of technology where it inevitably turns into a mean psychopath who is set on dominating all of humanity. So as an alternative, because we do like to talk about you know the the importance of expanding our imagination. Like, you know, with regards to climate, a lot of it is like either it's either apocalypse or business as usual capitalism. There's not like it, people have a hard time imagining the the alternative. On AI, on the subject of AI, like, what are so ha, ha, is there first of all is there any like mainstream kind of popular movie that you feel like actually like that example of AI, like, got it right? And then are there other kind of more obscure works that you would send people to in order to sort of feed their imagination of, like, what what a world with AI technology could look like?
0: Yeah, I mean, that question of the imagination and how our current imagination of AI is really narrow is super key. And, you know, I think it's fascinating that, yes, you know, Musk and these folks have, like, a very narrow set of stories that they refer to it in those stories it's always like oh this hyper masculine tech bro makes an ai and then it looks like him and then it takes over the world and you're like are you okay that yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you're like your bedtime story right. you know, the it's, mean it's sociopath very... bent on
3: world domination thinks exactly. that all ai is going to be a mean <laughs> sociopath <laughs> bent on world domination that's so weird <laughs> right
0: yeah who would have guessed that yeah but yeah i mean and Something that I really like are stories, particularly science fiction stories. I love sci-fi and fantasy. I'm like a huge believer in like the way that it can help us imagine different worlds. Um, in terms of like mainstream films, I guess the one that like comes to the top of my head is Big Hero Six. So the Disney Pixar film where you have an AI-powered kind of robot healthcare buddy called Baymax, and I think that's a really interesting example of an AI that you know at one point in the film he gets dressed up in armor and and you know. Ah, uh, the kid hero starts to try and use him as a kind of weapon. But, like this is an AI that so hasn't been designed to be a weapon right. that kind of resists being weaponized a lot of ways. And in that sense, it's really countercultural to a lot of the AI we see yeah. in Western film and cinema, which is often very weaponized. It's often either this like kind of sexy cyborg figure or it's this hyper masculine Terminator figure yeah um so i find baymax is kind of genderless
3: and like just non-violent a big cloud, puffy balloon person but yeah. that's also so accurate of what a young boy would do immediately with that is like yeah. turn it into a weapon <laughs> it's like the the tweet i can tell you me and my friends would have killed et with hammers it's like <laughs> <laughs> little little boys are monsters but that that's a great example
0: yeah, and in terms of like some alternative like yeah. stories and ideas, tried to do a really shameless self plug, but we have a book coming out called yeah, "Good Robot: know. Why Technology Needs Feminism," and I'm plugging it because it's really beautiful. We worked with a science fiction illustrator called Lee, and there was myself and Dr. Eleanor Drage, my co-host, and the whole thing is these 2,000 word essays. They're really short and really punchy by lots of different guests we've had on the podcast, and they all respond to this idea of good technology dot 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 so it might be good technology is free or good technology you know challenges power and the idea is you can just dip in read one that also illustrated and then just dip out when you need a break or a moment uh but yeah i really would encourage you to pick that up because it just contains the most incredible feminist philosophers technologists inventors activists who are really pushing forward different ideas of the kinds of technological futures we could have I mean, apart from that, I read a lot of like Chinese diasporic Asian American sci fi as well, particularly sci fi that's like thinking a lot about the climate crisis and AI and the intersections of that. And so I think a lot of those stories have really interesting and different perspectives on what AI is It can be from like Elliot de Bodard's work, which explores, you know, the relationships between like humans and sentient mind ships in the space opera universe through the like lyricalized saltfish girl, which is like a very dystopian imagining of like a future society based on labor from clones like all of these novels i think just deserve a lot more love and a lot more kudos they're just absolutely interesting and imaginative and gorgeous ideas about the future
3: amazing well this has been such a fascinating conversation thank you so much for taking the time at what i have to assume is midnight where you are right now (laughs) it's almost nine almost nine okay yeah that's too late Uh, Well, thank you, Dr. (laughs) McNerney, uh, for for doing the show. Where can people find you, follow you, hear you, all that good stuff?
0: Uh, Yeah, thanks so much for having me on. It's been a blast. Yeah, check out The Good Robot. We're on YouTube, Apple, Spotify, uh, and then keep an eye out for the book coming in February 2024.
3: Amazing. Yeah, we'll have to have you back for that. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And is there a work of media that you've been enjoying?
0: Ooh, media in terms of like a show, like a it can podcast. It could be a tweet, show,
3: it be a, a podcast, TikTok, a book, a, a tweet.
0: Oh, I feel like I should choose something like really intellectual, but I actually just sent my husband a tweet that really got me because yeah. it was very me. Which is um, it was it's actually a bit dark, but it was this news headline about this hiker who'd been missing, and the rescuers couldn't get in contact with them, and they didn't get rescued for twenty four hours because they wouldn't answer their phone because it was an unknown number, and this yeah. is just. Exactly me. Like my husband yeah, always yeah. Like, Please pick up the phone. And I'm like You know what? I'm like, I will not I will not right. answer under unknown number. And so that brought me a little bit of joy today.
3: Amazing. Absolutely. And I feel like that's a great way, the a great example of how technology has marched forward and completely ruined like something that used to work. Phone communication. But we can't answer our phones anymore because the fucking bots. Miles, where can people find you? What's a work media you've been enjoying?
2: Yeah, at miles of gray, uh, wherever they got at. I'm there. Uh, soon to blue sky. Shout out ill will. Uh, Christy, oh, you got it, Maine. Yeah, uh, you, and, you and I, we're hopping in. We okay. got codes. We got, we got the invite to check nice. out the blue sky. So, yeah, they're shortly. I'll also, check Jack and I out on our basketball podcast. Miles and Jack out Mad, Mad Boosies. Boosies. Uh Check me out on my 90 Day Fiance podcast. 420 Day Fiance, uh, and also uh, the true crime show The Good Thief, which has all episode, eight episodes out, so please stream those, uh, binge those, uh, talking about the Greek Robin Hood, the man who legitimately was kidnapping millionaires and doing some old-fashioned wealth redistribution in, the, in a positive way. Never hurting people either, never hurting people. Like, a, mm. again, an ethical criminal, if there is such a thing. Some tweets I like, first one is from, you know, Shout out to the WGA and all the negotiators, uh, because it looks like the WGA strike is they're close to getting something ratified. So we like that. Uh, This tweet is from Jeff Yang at Original Spin tweeted just underscoring how WGA negotiators told the studios the union wouldn't go back to work until SAG also has a deal. Uh, Because if the last five months proved anything, it's in together, win together. And there's this uh, snippet from it might be a deadline, but it says, quote, the studios also inquired if once a tentative agreement is ratified by the scribes, if the writers would pick up their pens and hit their keyboards again very soon afterwards. The Guild, from what we understand, made it clear that they would not be going back to work until SAG-AFTRA also had a new agreement with the AMPTP, Reflective of the WGA, WGA's feeling of solidarity between the two unions that has characterized their first mutual strike since 1960. Mm. Love the solidarity. And I know Ayahtze is also going to have a contract that is going to need to be renegotiated next year. And it looks like, guess what, folks? They did it they once. They only
3: listened to one thing.
2: Yeah, putting your His fucking, studios. putting the tools down, put the yeah. tools down and pick them other tools up, which is getting in your solidarity back. Uh, Mm -hmm. So, we'd love to see that. And another tweet I like is from T Pain at T Pain. uh, Just put bartender just doing her job. Me,
3: just this photo of Kevin James. (laughs) (laughs) The photo of Kevin James that's going (laughs) going viral. Shrugging, but it is the shrugging
2: like, trying to be like, hey, hey, can I get your eye contact? Yeah, yeah. Just a a ginger beer if you can. Uh, (laughs) Those are my two.
3: Uh, Tweet I've been enjoying. At I I don't know how to pronounce that, uh, but their display name is b space b b b b b b which I have to assume stands for bone, 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 But the tweet, I usually don't use for my tweet the ones that things that I've retweeted, but this one got me so much I had to reshare it. The tweet is, what if you went to E.T.'s planet and all of the other E.T.'s were wearing clothes? <laughs> that really oh, really <laughs> fucked up how I thought about E.T. Yeah. Man. Yo, what's yeah. good, e. <laughs> Oh, damn. All right, E.T. You can find me on Twitter at jack underscore o'brien and on threads at jack underscore o underscore brian and on blueski well, I'll, I'll have a username there eventually soon and you can find us on twitter at daily zeitgeist we're at the daily zeitgeist on instagram we have a facebook fan page and a website daily where we post our episodes and our footnotes Footnote. where we link off to the information that we talked about in today's episode as well as a song that we think you might enjoy miles what's the song people might enjoy uh, this is an artist, uh, Detroit's very
2: own John FM, and I just figured, what an appropriate title. It's called White Science, uh, and the track is like very. It feels like if, like, like I don't know, like if Prince was making shit in like the late night. It's it has like a Princey vibe, like it's funky Prince-y. and it's kind of got this like vocal modulator on it that feels a little bit. Princey so and also it's just a really good track so this is John FM
3: uh, with White Simons that's what J- Jack FM's mom calls him when he's in trouble
2: <laughs> John FM get in here now
3: the Daily Zeitgeist the production of iHeartRadio for more podcasts from iHeartRadio visit the iHeartRadio app Apple Podcasts wherever you listen to your favorite shows that is yeah. going to do it for us this morning back this afternoon to tell you what is trending and we'll talk to you all then bye bye